off instead of on. <laughs> it's not always that I come into this moment to teach the right way, but that song and singing it together eased tension and anxiety to replace with prayer. Yet not I, but through Christ. So what we're doing isn't through us, but through Christ. That's just great to be able to pray together, sing together, teach each other, consider these things as we enter into the service. Marissa mentioned the mini podcast around said I might have more to say. So just before we get to the sermon, I will say more. Like, I'm not always invited to say extra. But uh, I'm t starting tomorrow from Monday to Saturday. And then next week again from Monday to Saturday. If you want something on Sunday, you have to come here. But Monday to Saturday, you can just get a little six-minute. It might be five, might be eight. Just depends. But a short little podcast, um, which is kind of the after-hours format, which is a few of us sitting around. And we're discussing the questions that we told you were kind of guiding us, especially in our study in Colossians. Who am I? Who are you? Who are we? Who are they? And we just take little riffs on one of those questions. Who am I? Well, I'm somebody who's always late, and I don't understand why I'm always late. Um, I don't think we did that one. But then we just kind of discuss that and try to see how do you apply the gospel to that? How do you, what does Jesus have to say about that? Um, how, do you, how do you respond to that? So we did a few of those. And you can get a chance to listen to them, take five minutes out of your life. And then the idea would be not just to listen to it, but uh, what do you think? How would, what, what, what one sentence would you add to the podcast? Or what question would you ask if you could? And for you to get somebody else the other end of a text message or a phone call or meet them for coffee or beer or whatever and just meet with somebody else couple of times, three times in the week, send a text. Say, I was just listening to this. This is what I was thinking. What do you think? And that way you just keep thinking. And that's a whole lot of the Christian life is keep thinking and keep it up there. Keep it percolating. Keep it working. So keep it working. That's kind of the idea of these mini podcasts. It's, it's like spring detox, you know, like just let's wash out all that gunk and what are we thinking? Let's just do that together. While you're thinking, I have a question for you this morning. I'm, I'm flipping the switch now, moving a little bit closer towards teaching. What's your favorite Bible verse? Anybody have one that you want to share? No? No one has it? Someone's going to say, well, I like the entire Bible, you understand. So until I have it memorized, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> Anyone? Steph? Okay. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected in weakness. Yes. All things, yes. All things in God's plan. Thank you. Yes. 
Okay, you're moving into the territory that I wanted to go to. Whoever hates correction is stupid. Um, there are certain verses that were favored in my house growing up. I don't know if your house was similar. Before my dad was even a Christian, well, he was actually far away from the gospel and far away from God and not a believer, he would sometimes quote scripture. And he had a couple of favorite verses, and you can guess what they were. Could you? Can you? Spare the rod, Spare the rod spoil the child would be one of them. Yep. And Ephesians 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents. That was even a favorite of my eldest brother because when my parents were away, he loved this phrase because he would say to me as he sat on my shoulders with me, you know, lying on the ground and his fists poised above my head, he would say to me, I am in locus parentis. That's what you need to hear when you're four years old and facing imminent disaster, a Latin phrase. He said, I am in place of the parent, and you will obey me, as the scripture says, children, obey your parents. But he would not stop there, because the next verse in Ephesians 6 says, that you may live long upon the earth. <laughs> and he would say, do you want to live? Well, I'm asking you, do you? Do you, do you want to live? It was his favorite verse. My dad's favorite verse. And then all joking aside, I remember the time when I heard my father say to my mother from the same passage of scripture, wives, submit to your husbands. And it was in the same vein of, do you want to live? It was in the same vein of, I have the power. And you will obey my power. It's interesting that people who loved those power verses rarely quoted the overarching verse, husbands, love your wives. Because that verse, those verses in Ephesians 6, and the verses in Colossians 3 that we're going to look at this morning, which are the parallel passages, those verses build out of love. Would you go with me to Colossians chapter 3 just for a moment? Colossians 3 and verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Now, I'm not sure how you respond when you read verses like that passages like that. But I wonder if sometimes questions come into your mind about, like, what's going on here? And why are verses like this in the Bible? Does this sound really Jesus-y? Does this sound gospel-y? And especially, it talks about bond servants, which is a kind of a kind way of speaking of slaves. And we're reminded that slavery is still spoken of in Scripture. 
this is, this is really hard to get your head around because this seems wrong. And I think it seems wrong to us in terms of children and parents and husbands and wives, and these things, often seems wrong because we approach it from a power dynamic. We're told in postmodern thought that language is violence and that, that there's a lot of violence in language itself that comes with power. And this is true in many respects. And it comes with a power and a wielding of power we used to call, to, to quote Robert Capon, right-handed power. It's the power of the right hand, as opposed to left-handed power, which you don't really recognize. You don't see what's going on. You don't recognize it. We approach things from a power dynamic. It's very important to us that God is powerful for us. We just sang about it. Yet I will overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It's very important to us that God comes to us with power. Yes, somebody, why do you believe? And often, sometimes, often, sometimes, sometimes, even often, you will hear, it works. And this is something that I've seen. I've seen the change in my life. God effected the change in my life. This works. Because we're all about control. We're all about power. We're all about things working the way that they should. Because we don't really believe, to quote your verse, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But we want to know that God is in control if we're not, and that there's a power dynamic that's going there. But what we think of are always in terms of, can I control this, or am I being controlled? Almost in every marriage counseling situation I'm in, I have to say to someone, your relationship isn't about who controls the other person or who is controlling you. That's not how this works. A lot of people sometimes fall into the idea that somehow if a marriage is going to work, somebody's got to be in charge. And, you know, there's only one captain on the ship. I was told this so many times. There's only one captain on the ship. There's got to be somebody. There's ultimate authority rests somewhere. You can have discussions. You can hash it out. As much, but sometime, somebody has to make the decision. And it's about who has the ultimate authority. Who has the ultimate power. I want you to step, crush, obliterate that dynamic from your thinking this morning. I want you to say, that can't be, that is not how I'm going to see these verses. Because these verses are not about, do you have power over the other? These verses are about love. How do you know that? Let's go back to where we were last week. The verses that we went from, or preached from last week. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We talked about being all in, in everything, in every part of our life, all in for the gospel, for for the Holy Spirit, for God at work in my life, with thanksgiving, with delight, with celebration, drunk with joy as we sing the praises of God. And all of this flows out of, grows out of, fruits out of love. The peace of God reigning in your hearts. And that love looks like compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness. What did we say about all those words? What, what's common to those, to those words? What's common to those fruits, to that fruit? All of them require community. You can't be kind alone. You can't forgive alone. You can't forbear simply yourself. So all of these things are communal words. And so when he gets to husbands and wives and children and masters and servants and all that, when he gets into that, he's not thinking about who's in control and where's the power and who is able to exercise that power over another. He's thinking about a community of fruit, of compassion and kindness and forbearance and forgiveness and love. This is what Paul is thinking about. So, we don't really believe, as we approach this, in gospel power, and we should. We don't really believe that God's power works through the gospel of Jesus Christ through the cross. We believe that power works with who's in charge, who makes the decisions, or who has the bigger right hand. Who has the money, who has the connections, who has the impetus, who is able to be violent. And the power is bred by violence. And here we want to see that power that is the power of the cross comes with love. And it's very different. It's a very different dynamic than the world's understanding of power. Let's pray. My thinking, God, I confess to you, always needs adjustment and always needs correction that I might yearningly believe Not I, but Christ in me. May everything that I am about, everything that we are about, everything that we look at each other and say, this is what we, they, this is us, would be the power of the gospel, of love, of grace in our life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What prevents you from forgiving someone else, just to take one of the hardest of those, that list, compassion, kindness, 
meekness, forbearance, forgiveness, what prevents you from forgiving someone else? What, what, what's the obstacle that you face in forgiving? You can think about it. You don't have to raise your hand and speak, but you can think about it. This is what I would say. I'm thinking about this, think about this. I want to suggest to you three things. They're going to be kind of ridiculous things, but you'll get the idea. First of all, you're prevented, and this isn't ridiculous, but you're prevented from forgiving others because you are too prideful or too fearful to forgive. How will you know that this pride and fear exist in your life? I'm too proud to forgive you, as in, you don't realize how much you've offended me because I, after all, am I. This is what you did to me. I can see somebody else forgiving you because they're lesser people than I. But I, you have offended me. And we're very prideful. And so we're not very forgiving. Now, you might laugh at that, but, and we wouldn't ever express it that way, but we just nurse that hurt. They don't. They did this to me. I can't believe he did this to me. And then we think, see, after all I've done for them, and I would never have done that, I this, I that, we're too prideful or we're too fearful. If I forgive you for this, you might just go do it again and again. Like, I, I, I can't let you just keep doing this. If I forgive you for this, you won't realize, oh, please realize what you've done to me. You won't realize how you've offended the great mightiness that I am. And so I can't forgive you. I'm afraid that you won't see that. I'm afraid that you will continue in your bliss of ignorance about me. Fearful, prideful. And we'll see those things in our life. We'll recognize that those are in us because we will just often fail in an opportunity to forgive. We don't want to forgive too quickly. I remember once a man doing something that was pretty annoying, pretty offensive to me, and it was public. He had done this in public, and then he quickly realized what he had done and came to apologize to me. And I said, I thought, I didn't say this to him. I didn't dare say this, but I thought to myself, don't do this so fast. Like, I was just enjoying feeling a little bit self-righteous and angry and now I'm going to have to forgive you, like, minutes later? Like, can't we just keep this dynamic a little longer? Like, you're a jerk and I'm perfect. Can't we just keep that a little longer? I had to forgive him then, so fast, so quickly. When you fail in an opportunity to forgive, you realize that you've come up against number one obstacle. You're too proud or you're too fearful. And so you are slow. Second reason, second reason that we often fail to forgive isn't about us. We can fail to be forgiving of others, not because we are fearful and prideful, but because we don't mix with others. We isolate, and we spend our life alone. We mix very, very little. We say things like, you know, I've been hurt too often, so I just don't give anybody the opportunity anymore. I kind of just go my own way, do my own thing. I don't develop really close relationships. I don't really close to anybody else. I don't hang out with very many other people. I just do me. And there's nobody to forgive. Nobody ever offends me or harms me because nobody ever talks to me. I like it that way. 
Nobody ever hurts me because I don't let anybody get close enough to hurt me. And I like it that way. So I don't live in community. I live alone. Not maybe literally. You can live alone in a house full of people. You can live alone in a marriage. You can live alone in a friendship. You can live alone because you will not let people get close. You will not let people harm you. You will not let people into situations where you have to forgive them. It's simple. If I just don't care about you, then it's really hard for you to offend me. If I just don't really care that you exist, then I really don't have very much desire to forgive or need to forgive. Don't be, you do you. You do you. Oh, you do you. You do you. Thirdly, we don't forgive partly because we're proud and fearful or partly because we live alone or partly because the person, no one else, desires it themselves. We don't forgive because the person who has harmed doesn't desire forgiveness, isn't looking for forgiveness. Rather than simply having a biblical attitude of I'm ready to forgive, we don't forgive until like they, they just don't care. They don't want, they don't desire, they don't ask. And so forgiveness doesn't work because we're not in a confessional kind of community. We're not in a, con a community of vulnerability. We're not in a community of trust. We're not in a community of honesty. We're not in a community of care. And so without that, that comes from their side as well, we don't have forgiving. We don't have peace. What all this tells you is that you only love in a community where you live by the gospel. That means that you don't love your celebrities. Do you know the people that you just, you would say about like maybe a sports star, like a hockey player, or a baseball player, basketball player, love them. Or maybe it's a actor, actress, I just love them. Or maybe it's a politician, this, is, this one, I love this guy or this woman. I love them. Or maybe it's a favorite author or podcaster. You've got you to listen to this. This is my favorite. I love this person. I love them. Or maybe it's a preacher. It's not going to be me. Someone else. I just love this guy. I love this pastor. Whatever it is. I want to say to you, no, you don't. You respect them. You like them a lot, but you don't love them until, and I don't know how to phrase this, this phrase stuck in my head once when I heard it years ago, and I thought, well, that fits. You don't love somebody whose farts you've never smelled. That sticks with me. I don't mean to be gross. I don't mean to be, but it's true. You don't love somebody who you haven't seen their warts and you haven't experienced their flaws. And you haven't breathed that air. You haven't loved them until that has occurred. That person that you say I love person hasn't ever put themselves in a position where they need to ask your forgiveness. You've never extended forgiveness to them. You say you love them, but you've never forgiven them anything. Or you've never been forbearing with them. Or you've never been kind to them. Or you've never been compassionate to them. The reason is you like them, you respect them, you 
Don't love them because love requires the community. Love requires the relationship. Love requires the friction of living together and rubbing against each other and breathing each other's air. Love requires that. And so that person, that preacher, that podcaster, that author, that sports star, they won't help you through this. They won't work you through the power dynamic that you need in your life of the gospel. They will give you tools. They will give you resources. They'll give you excellent you should read lots of these books and you should listen to lots of these podcasts and you should, you should do this. This is excellent stuff. It's good stuff. But if that's all that you have, the community that is right here, this community, you'll be malnourished. You haven't had to forgive them. You haven't had to be offended by their carelessness. This then is never about power in the usual sense of right-handed power. Obliterating that, as we enter into these verses, we don't ask ourselves the question, well, then who's in charge? We don't ask ourselves the question, well, then what does submission mean? Why do I have to obey? We will be asking questions about who will extend the gospel towards my pride and fear, who will extend community towards my isolation, and who will extend confession towards my need to forgive. Will I extend gospel and community and confession? Gospel means will I extend myself some vulnerability, some honesty, some transparency? Will I seek you out? Will I pursue you? Will I say, no, I don't want to live without community relationship with you? Will we confess to one another our sins and love one another through them? We require that. You need these three things done to you, and you need to be doing them. Seeking the isolated, giving into community, sharing, sacrificing, helping, loving, teaching, admonishing, just being there. And you need to share in confession, sharing our sin sharing our farts, sharing our need, and asking, help me by the grace of God that we live in that grace. This is then, with that attitude, as you read these verses about husbands and wives and children, and it will change the way you see this passage. For example, it will be about recognizing Jesus Christ. Paul makes this really clear in Ephesians 6, in Ephesians 5, where he talks about wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving their wives. He says the model here is Christ and the church. This is about Jesus. This is about recognizing the way Jesus is with us. How is Jesus with us? I gave you a picture at the beginning of this teaching of my oldest brother throwing me on the floor, pinning my shoulders to the ground, smacking me with his fist, saying, do you want to live? Do you? Do you want to live? Obey. Is that a Jesus picture? So often we think that it is. So often we think, yes, if I misbehave, God will just smack me down. If I misbehave, God will just smack me. Now, 
we do have chastisement given in Scripture, but the idea of the relationship we have with Jesus is not at all like that picture. That picture of, do you want to live? This is a picture of love. This is a picture of Jesus. What's in his hands? When we get to heaven, you will arrive there. I was joking with Steve this morning that uh, we were trying to work through a technical thing, and I, I'm just frustrated a little bit with technology because I, I think I must be starting, starting, starting to get old. And I'm at that place where technology is like, ah, when I was a kid, when I was a boy, this wasn't nearly so hard. And I said, Steve, we just need to solve this. Why don't you go to heaven, talk to people there, get this figured out, and then come back and share it with us. And Steve said, I ain't coming back. All right? I'm not coming back. You get me there, I'm staying. I get that. I totally get that. Because when we're in heaven, we're perfected. We won't need to be forgiving each other because we have received the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. And we will be perfect. So there's one person on the heaven and on the new earth when we actually have our bodies. There's one person who still bears scars in their body. It won't be you. You'll have no scars. You'll have no marks of smallpox, monkeypox, burns, whatever. You will have perfect body. And Jesus will have holes in his hands. You will have perfection and he will have a hole in his side and in his feet. You will look perfect and he will have scars from the crown of thorns. So if you ever think about well, what will it be like in heaven? Will I recognize Jesus? You can look for, to find Jesus, you can look for the only head that is blood-scarred with a crown of thorns. As Christ is head of the church, as husbands are heads of their wives, these are the heads that wear a crown of thorns. Husbands must never think that these verses about headship mean I have right-handed power. What it means is you have a place for the crown of thorns to rest. What it means is you have a place to sacrificially love, to give yourself to another. He has the scars. He has the blood marks. And he's the only one in the room that does. You want to recognize a leader? How do we find a leader in our church? You want to recognize a leader? You look for the blood scars. You look for the one who loves and believes in the power of love. You look for the scars. You want to find power? You look for the scars. You want to find a good marriage? You look for the scars of I have given myself for him, for her. I love sacrificially. I labor in forgiveness so that I might pray forgive them. I gave myself for them. My kindness cost my life. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words that are given to us to model our relationship on. 
look for the scars. If our idea of the relationship in the home between parents and children, between husbands and wives, if our idea of how that's to work, and this extends past the home into the workplace, extends past the home even into masters and slaves in Paul's day, and all of our relationships then where there's a power dynamic at work and sometimes a, a violent and evil power dynamic, the solution is love and scars and blood, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ. Bringing the gospel and godly pursuit and love to bear in our relationships. And you want to look for good relationships? You look for scars. You look for, look how much it costs them to forgive that person. Because forgiveness costs, doesn't it? Forgiveness is somebody's got to pay, and I'll pay. Do you know that? You know how you feel when somebody's done something horrible? And you go, somebody's got to pay. Forgiveness says, that's your job. They offended. You got to pay. Because you're going to forgive. Because you're going to bear the scars. Because you're going to carry the gospel. This is what it looks like. This is what we should look like. This is what our leadership in the church should look like. This is what we should be. Let's be a people who receive the gospel in faith. We'll go in then to these verses next week and follow them out. We're going to conclude our studies in Colossians next week or at the very latest, the first week of July and look at how that life's been rewritten. Then we're going to start a summer series. And that's going to be on the most misunderstood passages in Scripture. And so you're allowed to say, here's a passage I don't understand. And if it, you know, if it's like survey says, and so others agree that that's a misunderstood passage, we'll look at that together. We'll start that soon. But I want to just conclude with what are the dynamics between us? Love. Let's pray. Christ Jesus, live through me, live through us, I pray. Restore the gospel to our friendship dynamics, to our brother-sister dynamics, to our father-daughter, mother-sister, son, all of it, for our relationship in the church of people who will love and be loved, who will confess and forgive, who will honestly, openly trust the gospel in their lives. Refresh us all, I pray. Refresh us in your spirit, I ask you, in Jesus' name, amen.